Thanks, guys. Uh, If you would please join me in opening up your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Our New Testament reading will be uh, from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. It's on page 606 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 6. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. And they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as Lars said, this is a a bit of a repeat from last week with not only the Old Testament text, but uh, some of the things we're going to talk about. And um, one, um, if you were here last week, then uh, clearly God wants you to really focus on something. But two... You know, we're going to be going through the book of Daniel, and for your own study, I want to encourage you, um, be reading the book of Daniel during the week. Be reading the book of Daniel in your times of study. Uh, there is so much in this book we cannot cover in 20, 25 minutes on Sunday nights. Uh, and I would encourage you not only to read the book of Daniel on your own, but also if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have anything, email myself, email Andy. Uh, we would love to, to help walk you through this. And tonight we're going to start by looking in depth at sort of the introduction to Daniel and then also compare him to this person, Stephen, who who we know to be the first martyr of the church uh, in the book of Acts. But first I want to share with you why it's a repeat. Um, When you have uh, the birth of a child on Saturday night at 11.52 p.m., um, sometimes it's, it's tough to rebound and, and, and change everything for the Sunday night service. And so we just decided to keep it the same. But uh, I want to introduce you. He's not here tonight. But this is uh, Berg David Jerfe, born last Saturday. And he was, uh, people in the morning asked me this, so apparently people care. Um, he was 3.7 kilograms and uh, tw- 52 centimeters long. Um, so a big baby, not a huge, you know, gargantuan baby, but long and thin, so it, you know, works out. Um, we welcomed this little monster into the world, and uh, he looks really peaceful and beautiful there, this little, like, prearranged photo. But I promise you, he screams like a baby pterodactyl at three in the morning. And I just wanted to thank you all so much for your nice prayers and your nice notes. I heard from so many of you, and, and so far, so good. Uh, Jenna didn't really want to come to church tonight, but she'll, she'll be here next week, and looks forward to seeing you all as well. Um, And and I just wanted to sort of extend this as we go into tonight and sort of set a framework. You know, it was so nice every, you know, so often we get a text and we get a WhatsApp message and Jenna says, oh, who's that from? Oh, so-and-so says they're so happy for us. Congratulations. Or, Or, oh, this person sent a note. Or, oh, this is so nice. And a few weeks ago we talked uh, about 
Praying, if you remember, we talked about money, and one of the things I said was that it's so helpful to, to spend some time in prayer and contemplation before we sit down to pay bills or think about our finances. And I was just thinking so much this week about the power of prayer. How my parents, who live uh, almost on the other side of the world, had their community praying, and, and, and we had family in the United States and, and friends across Europe, and we were just thinking how powerful and wonderful prayer is. Because in life, we have so much anxiety and stress. You know, and, and it jumps all over the place. Just to give you a thought process of, of my day last week, I'm thinking, you know, okay, great, Jenna's going into labor. This is great. But then it's, oh no, Jenna's going into labor. Like, how do we do this? What do we do? You know, and then, oh, the baby's here. Praise God. And then it's, oh no, what do I do with this little baby? You know, and, and, and every single day, we're faced with something new. Every single day, we're faced with something unknown. And I just want to encourage you. It meant so much to me to hear from so many of you this week. To do that constantly, not with me. Well, you can if you like. I love encouraging notes. But, but with each other. You know, to be sending those notes, to be sending those prayers, to be sending those messages to say, I just was thinking about you, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Because you have no idea what that person may be going through that day whether they're in one of the joyful times in life or just terrified times in life. And, and, and so, for me, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. It's been a great week. Um, and I, uh, I've promised a few people um, that I will do my best not to, from the pulpit especially, share a, 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 an exacerbate or too many amounts of stories um, from learning to become a dad, but there might be a few here and there. So, you know, grace for me, please. But as we go through the book of Daniel and his life, uh, we're going to see in the story of Daniel why we need that support. We're going to see in the life of a man named Daniel who did everything right and yet things didn't always work out for him. And so tonight we're going to start at the beginning. You know, I love history. Uh, My older brother, we are very, very similar. He's actually a history teacher. Uh, I think I would probably be doing something similar if I were not a Christian or called to ministry. I would either be a history teacher or a gardener. And um, I remember as a kid, you know, a lot of times when you're a teenager or, you know, a a kid, kids love to watch cartoons and and, and comics. And I I love those things. But I remember being 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, sitting with my grandfather watching documentaries on the History Channel. It was weird. As a 9-year-old, I loved, you know, watching a documentary on the Battle of the Bulge. I, I don't think that's normal. But I love history. And I love that the Bible is so interwoven in history, and it's not stories, but it's actual world history. You know, the history of Israel and its people is very complicated, and the history of the Middle East is very complicated. And the events that happen in this book are pivotal times in the history of the Middle East. You know, around this time, you had the fall of the Assyrian Empire, the rise of the Babylonian Empire. You know, and Israel played a key role in that. In this story, what it's talking about, when Jerusalem finally fell, Jerusalem was the last stronghold of the kingdom of Israel from back in the days of King, King Saul and King David and King Solomon. You know, and it was this last little island for the people of Israel, and finally, finally it fell to the Babylonians. And this is when the story of Daniel begins. In verse 1, it gives us some of the dates and sort of when this may have happened, you know, but we know both from the Babylonian records that we found and the, 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 the Jewish and Israelite records that we found, it was right around 600 B.C., 600 years before Christ. 
It's, it's accounted for, as Lars was saying, in 2 Kings chapter 24. And what happened was, is that Jerusalem, you know, Assyria came in and took the northern kingdom, and then, and then Babylon came in and took the southern kingdom, and the city was this walled city that took them forever to break down, but they finally did it. And what happened after that, many of us know, they went into exile. And this gives a, a de- some details that we didn't know before. And in verse 2, it says something particularly troubling to us. I don't know if you notice this little detail. Some of you may notice it. It's also in the prophet Habakkuk uh, in chapter 1, where God says, you would not believe what I'm doing even if I told you that I am raising up the Babylonians to come and do this thing. And it it confirms that here in verse 2. The Lord delivered Judah into the hand of Babylon. And as Christians, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but this is sort of hard. Wait, why would God, why would God, who, who loves his people, who has built up this kingdom, then say to his people, hey, um, I'm bringing up this other king to come and judge you and to take you out of this place and to take you out of the land I have given you? You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the book of Lamentations. I don't know if you remember that. And I just wanted to remind you of something from that, that, that if God promised this to the people of Israel. He actually said, if you keep doing the things you're doing, I will judge you. I will bring up other nations to judge you. And God actually is just simply following through on a promise he made to the descendants of King David. And remember that when we come across hard verses like this, we come across hard stories like this, where why would God do that thing? God is fulfilling what he told the people. God is fulfilling that which he said. And if he fulfills the promises of judgment and curse for disobedience, he will also then fulfill the promises that are good. And we can trust that not only if there is hard times and there is struggle, that there will also be salvation and fulfillment at the end of our story. Because this is what God said would happen. And even though I'm sure it was not very popular. And then in verse 2, it says that they took these articles from God, and we'll come back to that in chapter 5. That, that comes up again in the story. But our, our text here says that Babylon wanted smart, capable, strong young men for service. You know, this is clear, one of the benefits of conquest, right? If you go in and you, you take something over, you get to take what you want. It's the same in the business world. If, you're, if your business acquires another business, you take parts of that business you want, and that which you don't, well, you get rid of it. This, it makes sense. This was very common in this time. Actually, Andy spoke this morning about slavery in the Old Testament. There was the way God had ordained it, but then there was the way that people instituted it. And many times when a nation took over another nation, the survivors were made slaves. They were brought back to wherever they were from and made slaves. But what they did here is really interesting. It says that they were to take members of the royal family or nobility... And they would reestablish their kingdom in them. Basically, if you think about it, you take members of the royal family and you indoctrinate them with your kingdom and with your understanding and your worldview so that this old kingdom, this old worldview, does not last. And it says in verse 4 that they were looking for young men without physical defect. This is kind of creepy, isn't it? I mean, some translations may say without blemish. This is sort of creepy, you know, in in Isaiah, it talks about this, it uses the same language when talking about a sacrifice. It uses the same language in Isaiah 39 when talking about a a sacrifice, a spotless lamb. The, The author of Daniel is doing this, I think, very intentionally. 
He's saying that there is something about Daniel and his friends that are mentioned here that was like a spotless lamb that you would choose for sacrifice for the atonement of sins. It's an amazing detail that I don't want you to miss. The Babylonians wanted the best. They wanted the smartest. They wanted the brightest. And what that was was those who honored and served God who were blameless like a spotless lamb. And the plan was in verse 5, it's pretty straightforward, immersion in the culture for three years and have them serve. And then we learn the names of these people and their names are changed and and we'll obviously hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego later and, and Daniel and how all that shapes up. But it seems to us that these and the others that were chosen were the lucky ones. Because the other ones were most likely killed or, or, or put into harsh manual labor type slavery. And I got to thinking about this passage. And I sort of started thinking, gosh, this is sort of interesting. You know, is it really good to be noticed? <laughs> I mean, yes, in this situation, sure, their options were probably the best. You get retrained, you get regroomed, and you get to still live and work and, and all these other things. But think about for us today. You know, personally, some of you know, um, I can be outgoing, but I don't really like to stand out. Um, I remember on my uh, 30th birthday, we were living in Denver at the time, and all of my friends were sort of asking, what do you want to do for your 30th birthday? And I said, I I want to play golf by myself. (laughs) They said, no, no, we have to celebrate, we have to have a party. And I said, no, I don't want that. And and, and then Jenna, my my wonderful wife, who is just much, much wiser than I am, said, Sam, you have to let them celebrate you. They want to celebrate you. Let them do this thing for you, and then you can have a day to yourself. You know, I don't like standing out so much. And I was thinking, though, about... I've been doing youth ministry now for a while, and I was thinking about this generation, which is sort of my age and younger, that most of us have read about and have heard about, called millennials. And now this is this huge, growing group of people joining the workforce and all of these things happening, and we've heard all of these things. And if you haven't, let me just tell you. This generation is sort of this internet, social media generation. Uh, They want to be noticed. They want to be famous. Um, They want to be affirmed in everything they do. You know, I saw one study where they interviewed and asked students in the United States, you know, how many of you think you're going to be famous one day? And over 25% of students said they expect to be famous one day. I mean, think about that. Like, 25% expected that, yeah, one day I'll be a famous artist or a YouTube star or a musician or a creative, whatever that is. Um, by the way, we're all creative. Being a creative is not a job. You have to do something with it. But, you know, <laughs> and if you're sick of this, just some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you've read about this in the workplace, and you've investigated it. And if you're sick of this sort of attitude, of this affirming and, and coddling attitude, um, too bad, because the next generation, they say, is going to be even worse. But what's interesting is I want you to think about this idea of standing up and being noticed. I want you to think about this idea of what does it mean to stand up and sort of be noticed in this thing. You know, social media, in my opinion, is really fueling this fire to be noticed among young people and even among us, uh, but for the wrong reasons. You know, when people are growing up with this interconnectedness as the world shrinks, the desire to be noticed becomes so much easier, and and everyone wants more accolades. But then the question we must ask is, is it for the right reasons? You know, I'm not against social media. It's, It's great to be private and keep it to family and friends. But if you've ever looked at Twitter or Instagram, it is troubling to me how much people share of themselves with people who they do not know. I mean, it is mind-boggling to me the things people put out on the internet just looking for affirmation from somewhere or something. 
right? And this mentality, this desire to be noticed, is creeping into the world through this younger generation and affecting everyone. It's affecting relationships. It's affecting the ability to have healthy relationships, healthy work habits, healthy financial habits. And what's amazing about this is actually God wants us to stand out. God desires that we stand out and be noticed, but it's not for the desires we would want to be recognized and to feel good about ourselves, but to please God. And I think it comes from a good place, but but like money, it becomes polluted and has negative effects on us. See, when we look at Scripture, we see the stories of Stephen and Daniel, and we see that God wants us to stand up for him. God wants us to stand out. The things we do well, the gifts he's given us in work, at school, all come from God but we keep them for ourselves. And when we receive the praise from other people, we hold on to it and say, yes, this is good. This feels good. But we're stopping one step short, aren't we? That God gave us those gifts. God gave you those abilities to stand up for him that we would go then and give that praise back to God. Because standing out for, or excuse me, because when we stand out for God, that is his desire for us. Right? Jesus said that we should be a city on a hill. But sometimes it's a little scary. You know, we think about standing out with our gifts at work, and it's good because we get a pay raise. We get encouragement. We stand out with our family, and everyone thinks, yes. You know, father of the year, mother of the year, uncle of the year. But when we stand out for God, sometimes it gets us in trouble, doesn't it? Sometimes it it pings us up on the radar of our enemy. Look at Daniel and Stephen. Both of these men loved God, and they stood out for the right reasons. We don't know that they desired any acclaim or any praise for it, but they stood out and did what others did not do or weren't doing at the time. You know, in Daniel, we see he's led to Babylon to be retrained, but like any good story or any movie, we know there's going to be turmoil. We know there's going to be trouble. Many of you know the story of Daniel. You know, we know that his standing up for God leads to strife and struggle and pain. And if you look at the story of Stephen and Acts, he stood up for the things that he believed. The Holy Spirit filled him to do great things, and he ended up getting the same thing Jesus got. They riled up people with false testimony that they would find a way to get rid of him. And I just want to say this and have you hear this tonight, that standing out gets us in trouble. Because it pings us up on the, on the radar of our enemies. You know how you ever see those movies with... I've never been on a, an active submarine, so I only see it in movies. You know how you, you, you see these movies with the submarines and they have the sonar? And the guy's looking at this thing and it's all these squiggly lines and you don't really know what's going on. And then all of a sudden it's like, ping! And it's just like this, all of a sudden there's a submarine and they're there and everyone's freaking out trying to shoot a torpedo. When we stand up for God, when we do the things like Daniel and like Stephen and we stand up for what we believe in, it pings us up on the, on the radar of those who would seek to harm us. It, it pings us up uh, on the radar of those who would seek to hold us back by those who would seek to hold God back. And we see this in Scripture a lot. You know, and the world has even caught on to this. If you've heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, this is a spiritual truth. You know, the world does not want God to be in control. They want to be in control. 
And and it's okay to want to make our life easy. It's okay to work hard and to desire these things, that life gets a little bit more convenient. But if it doesn't, if your efforts and if your energy and your desire to stand for God and work hard does not make your life any better, and it actually makes it worse, are you still willing to do it? In verse 4, it says that they wanted young men without physical defect, but that they showed aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well-informed and quick to understand. Would you be willing to do all of these things? Be a hard worker, trust, be honest, do all the things God is calling you to do, even if it leads you to suffering? Would you be willing to do good in this world, even if it leads you to have evil done to you? See, both of these characters in history stood out for their accomplishments and their abilities. And as soon as they stood out, they both encountered problems. Stephen, we know, goes on to be martyred, to be killed. And Daniel goes on, as we're going to find out throughout his life, to be continually fighting against the culture where he was to honor God. So what about for you? Are you seeking to be a sacrificial lamb? And this is a weird question, but track with me here. If God is calling us to be spotless and blameless, then is your spiritual journey one where you are pursuing death? <laughs> to be a spotless lamb is to jump in front of the line and say, I'm willing to die for this. Are you willing to stand out when your life calls for it? Because this is how God works. He allows you to choose if this is something you really want to do. Think of the life of Jesus when people wanted to follow him. What did he say? He said, hey, are you sure? You know, Luke, end of Luke chapter 9, foxes have dens, or foxes have holes, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another guy says, well, I, I really want to follow you, but I need to go bury my father first. And he says, you know, let the dead bury their own dead. And then another guy says, you know, anyone who fits his, or puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit. I mean, Jesus was serious about this stuff, and God is serious about this stuff, and he wants you to choose whether you will be that living sacrifice. And this is not, as I said, just a little coincidence. Many of you are familiar with the famous passage in Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is worship. That is what Jesus is asking us to do. It's a weird thing to say that I want to learn how to die, but that is what Jesus is calling us to do. And there's a song I, I love um, where it's about a man who has a friend who's dying. And, and, and it goes like this. Uh, it's after the picture of the baby beamer. Yeah, it says this. This is him talking and this is his friend responding. He says, I said, please, don't talk about the end. Don't talk about how every living thing goes away. And she says, friend, all along I thought I was learning how to take, how to bend, not how to break, how to live, not how to cry. But really, I've been learning how to die. I don't mean to be morbid, but the reality is is that Jesus says, if we live for him, if we live for God, we are saying we are willing to die for this God. 
And this is not just for students in their school to stand up for Jesus. This is not just for us to, to, to stand up in our workplace. But this is every day, all the time, willing to be the spotless lamb. When Jesus says, I need a sacrifice to serve me, you jump to the front of the line and you say, I will do it. And sometimes I've had people push back on, with me on this and say, well, no, Jesus called us to an abundant life and all this other stuff. Yes, he did. Absolutely. But first, we must learn to die to ourselves. And there's no better example of that than the communion table. That Jesus said, hey, follow me. And in his ministry, Jesus went to death voluntarily as a sacrificial lamb. And that is what we do tonight. Jesus, when he instituted this sacrament, said to his disciples, He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he poured the cup, representing his blood shed on the cross, and said, this is my blood, poured out for you. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's death and resurrection as his followers, as his daughters, as his sons. And so if you desire to, to continually learn how to die, if you desire to continually follow Jesus' example here at the table, then please, by all means, come forward, take bread, take the cup, and worship. All are welcome. If for whatever reason you are not there, you don't desire to, please, I would invite you to still come forward like this so that I just might say a quick prayer over you. I love praying for people. Um, And let us take this time now, let us take this time as an act of worship to to learn and to really think about what it means to stand for Christ, even if it leads to this end. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, this is the end we desire, complete submission to you, complete submission to your will, to your purposes, to your plan. Lord, I thank you for people who have gone before us, who have left an example. God, whether it was Stephen, Daniel, or countless others, Lord, people whose names we've never even heard of, who stood for what was right. God, who stood for holiness. God, who desired to be without blemish that others would see you in them. Father, use this table, use this bread and this cup to remind us of your sacrifice for us. Lord, let us come to this table in worship, knowing that you are good and your mercies endure forevermore. Amen. I'd like to invite uh, Jeff and Lars.